You're in for a treat with this season two opener. My guest today is Brian Morrissey. Brian is the founder and author of The Rebooting, a newsletter that covers how media companies can build sustainable businesses. He's the former president and editor-in-chief at Digiday, and before that was at Adweek. Brian is always full of flair, and this episode is no different. He goes into the mindset of editorial teams versus sales teams, and how the economy pulling back can impact our industry, and how the embrace of individuals over institutions isn't going away. I enjoyed this one way too much. Let's dive in. This is Media Moves, the podcast for executives to make sense of the perpetually moving media landscape. I'm Adam Ryan. All right, Brian, welcome. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Adam. It's exciting. I think there are a whole list of people that I want to talk to for this podcast, but there are very few people that are willing to say what they actually think and then have the credibility to back it up. And, and, uh, and you say the thing. Okay. Uh, I'll try. I'll try. That's the expectation for, for this podcast. That's the advantage of not having a boss or investors or anyone really. Did, did, were you, I didn't, I didn't know you, uh, really until last spring we did a, 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 I think a clubhouse talked together or something like that is how the first time we interacted. But when you were uh, at Digiday, were you similar? Were you unafraid to speak your mind? You were obviously the president and editor-in-chief, but were you as outspoken back then? I mean, I think so. I don't think um, I've changed at all. I think it's just different. I just have a slightly different perspective now being like sort of independent. But no, I think I always sort of was pretty forthcoming. But when you grow, like I didn't, I didn't write that much or anything. So now I'm sort of going back to the future. Like, you know, like I started as a reporter and I've been like writing for 20 years about this industry, but, um, you know, as an editor, you just, and, and then as president, cause I, I had like technology and product and events and like our membership business under me, everything pretty much is, except for sales and marketing, um, and a few other things. So, you know, your time gets, goes into other directions. Like I used to like, as a, as when I was a reporter at Adweek, I we used to have these meetings where I would like, I would mentally go around the table and I would say, write stories or write emails. And of course, since as a person who writes stories, I was like always like very dismissive of the people who wrote emails. And then of course, suddenly I became that person who wrote emails. So I, I, I then started to really highly value the people who wrote emails rather than wrote stories. The whole, oh, what goes around comes around thing is like definitely real. Uh, yeah. My grandmother always used to say, times change, people don't. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And she's like, everything that you like think you're not going to become like you'll every, everyone always becomes the thing that they, they don't talk about. But it's going back to the clubhouse. The reason I wanted to have you on, cause I, I think we like view the media world and, and in very similar ways, but we come at it from different directions. So that's why I think it's actually interesting because I'm selling ads for the first time and you're like on deadline probably for the first time really <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> and I suck at it. <laughs> and I suck at selling ads. <laughs> but we're both figuring the shit out. Like that's yeah. what I think is is fun about it. Well, and that Clubhouse last year was uh it was off of a tweet that I had of uh everything is sales or uh essentially and totally and, true. and you had that that tweet had a lot of engagement. And you had the most thoughtful response. You basically talked about like salespeople just have the shitty reputation because they're like, but the really good ones like are really thoughtful and like actually care. And then we, uh, we dived in and, uh, that was, that was, a it was the first time I've actually, uh, there was one Zach Crockett, who was the Sunday long story writer at the hustle. Him and I used to go back and forth about sales and it was really fun. And he was a 
journalists at heart and we used to talk about it, but you having the business side just allowed a new perspective. Yeah, no, I think like actually, I don't know much about, about sales still, just a few months into it, but- um, Your inventory, you're sold out on your newsletter. Yes, sold out. If anyone's listening, like I'll make a conception for you. Um, it's <laughs> like, we're always podcast. sold out. <laughs> yeah. Sa- sa- you, sail through, you got to sponsor Brian. Uh, that's yeah, totally. Sail through, MailChimp, <laughs> all of you email service providers. Yeah, exactly. No, but I do, I do think like the skills are very transferable of what makes a good reporter and good sales. That's, you know, and, and it's like basic and it's obvious and stuff, but it's like being able to like sort of listen to like understand the big picture and also just like to put yourself in the other person's shoes and understand, you know, what they're looking to get. That's a little different from journalism, but you're always like interviewing people with a two track mind, right? Like you're, cause I always find that it's like, it's how I imagine to be bilingual as like, as a person like interviewing, cause like you're listening and you're present, but at the same time in the back of your mind, you're looking for the quote. You're, you're looking for the idea that is going to make this conversation worthwhile. And it's, it's a different way of thinking that I think takes actually time to be good at. I think sales to me is like similar way in that you're listening to people and you're trying to think what's good for me, but what's good for them. <laughs> I would say like, so I did a ton of sales trainings every Wednesday morning at 830. We did, I trained our sales team. And the thing that I always talked about was like, you're listening for the problem that they don't know they have. Yeah. And like in the same way that a reporter's like listening for the headline that like they don't, they're not, they're, they have their script, they're going on there, but like you're trying to find the story that's not the story with sales. Like everyone's like, oh, like I come in to buy this thing or I'm, I'm here because to talk to you about this thing. But they, there's always a problem that they don't admit. And that's what you're trying to find. And you hear it in a conversation and you're like, that's it. And they don't hear it. But like, I remember something like you get like so excited as like a reporter when someone says something that like, that's your lead or that's the quote or that is the thing that make that you can hang the story on. And I think sales is somewhat similar in, in some, yeah. some ways. Well, and you get better and better too, right? Like I remember I learned- It's all reps. It's all uh, reps. Yeah, it's all reps. Uh, <laughs> I remember like I learned through years, like I always used to get a ton of like four weeks before the end of a quarter, all of a sudden I'd, I'd have like a ton of client calls. They'd be like, hey, can we talk about the campaign and all this and stuff? I'd be like, huh, what? Like, why is it? And then I'd finally realized, and sometimes it wasn't always like quarter, like uh, calendar quarter. And I started looking up when people's fiscals were, and I would ask them in this call, they would never bring it up. And I'd ask them and say, hey, um, is your like quarter ending? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, do you have extra budget that you're like trying to get rid of? And they're like, yeah, actually. And I was like, do you need like just a super simple way to like get that done? And they're like, yeah, that's exactly what we need. And I was like, yeah. cool. And they always like, I, it was one of those things that they never would say that because like they can't be like that person and be like, hey, I got like 200 grand. I got to blow. Just like take it from me because they're going to pull my budget next quarter if I don't spend it. But like when over time you like learn through reps to like find the thing through the problem. I love use it or lose it budgets. That's my specialty. Oh, those are the only, <laughs> only budgets I work with. Uh, <laughs> I only sell like one month of the year. That's an issue, you know, like trying to create scarcity. It'd be like, I only sell in December and I only do use it or lose a budget. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Sale for contact. Right. Brian, <laughs> Brian's the most sold out, uh, the, the creator in the world. Uh, so the one thing that I was excited to get your thoughts on. So you, with the rebooting, everyone talks about it all the time. And, and, you know, there's a few media newsletters out there. Jacob, which I had on last season. You, I attempt my crappy version of a newsletter. Oh, come on. Um, 
But what makes yours, I think, incredibly different is that you, where Jacob was a journalist too, he's just been, he's now spent more of his time as an operator. Like you're a, a journalist at heart through and through, and now you're independent. You can kind of like have this like own perspective and view with no boss. You have no constraints of like, oh, I'm going to get in trouble if I say this. And I think you say things, what I always say, like uncomfortable truths of like, you say things that people are like, yeah, he's absolutely right. Just no one's had the guts to say that out loud. And you say it about creators, ownership, IP, you talk about ads, like you've, 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 you've had really good takes. And now that you've started to connect those dots, I want to get into like some predictions from you. Oh boy. Uh, so I'm not good at predictions. I, yeah, I mean, but I know, I know, I know the trick to predictions. You have to keep them vague enough um, that I'm not you can claim that, that they'll be true, and you you never ever ever put a date on them. Uh, well, okay. So in the last tw- <laughs> in the last twelve months, uh, no, uh, what is there something that you have been late to in the last twelve months yeah. or like recently? Like, what have you been like? Fuck, man, I really missed that one. I mean, like so much, but I also like I'm, I might I might weasel try to weasel out of this um, like a good like uh, interviewee. I'm used to interviewees doing it to me, so I'm I won't let it. it. This is my report. You. This is my reporter <laughs> side coming out. I won't let it happen. It's like, well, I would reframe your question. Um, <laughs> so my talking point, um, but in, in all honesty, like I have really not tried to like focus on like different like trends and stuff like this that are going on and being early or late to because I think it's an interesting conversation because like I think there's a lot of advantages to finding that seam you know whether it was like Morning Brew finding the like buying ads plus a referral program can like just supercharge growth and stuff like this and like my like personality I think in some ways is like I don't want to spend my time like focused on that because one I'm not good at it and like two, I know for me, the biggest leverage that I have is the content. It, it, it just is. And like, so if I can like choose between focusing on trying to like get ahead of a trend versus like just really zeroing in on, on execution, because I really just, I do believe that media is an execution business, like 80 plus percent. Maybe all businesses, but I think in particular. Media. I mean, Sean Griffey was the first person that I ever heard say that. And I like thought about that line for a long time. And what he means is there's absolutely no moat. <laughs> like there's nothing preventing anyone from competing with anybody. And so like how many businesses actually are built that way? And I think that's where my sort of where I came from, like you alluded to, like being from the journalism side is a slightly different viewpoint because, yeah, I did come from the journalism side, but I did like a lot of the business. So like, it's not like I'm, cause I always like react like negatively, I guess, in some ways and push back, I guess, when people like try to like say, oh, you should just do content. And I like, I just don't like, I'm like, why? Like I built a multi-million dollar subscription business. Like maybe you should just do content. <laughs> I mean, like, and uh, you know, I, I, I ran product and ran technology, so I'm not really, you know, intimidated by that. But I keep getting told by various people that I should be, but I'm not. And I think that, like, for me, that's why it's interesting to do the sales part, because that's the part I never did before. You said a line to me once. You're like, look, I'm a natural pessimist. I'm a journalist. That's like what who I am. Yeah, I have to overcome that. But that's why I live in Miami. <laughs> where where has that played as like a strength uh, when you look at like you moving into this operator role, even like back then when you were like fresh new into it? Because I do think there's this movement of journalists moving into operator roles and they're going to have that natural pessimism around them. What, what advice do you have for that for you? That you need to leave it, leave it behind. 
because like pessimism is bad. Like skepticism is a feature, not a bug of journalism. Um, I remember I was talking with a, an operator. Um, and, and I mean that like in that they sort of came from the operator side versus the journalism side. And like, he was sort of grousing to me a little bit that his team was like too negative or something like this. Like, how do we get them to be more like, you know, positive and optimistic about like the space. And I'm just like, that's not what they do necessarily, at least good ones. And some of that is just like the personalities of the type of people who are attracted to journalism. But part of that is just a function of the profession. You have a lot of people who are, you know, if not misleading you, trying to shade the truth and trying to finesse, uh, you know, their own interests and stuff like this. And so I think that has that has an impact when you, you deal with that for decades. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but I think it's a, it's a liability if like, and I think that's what you're probably seeing with a lot of these, like, you know, with quote unquote creator burnout and stuff like this is y- you got to sort of leave that behind if you're going to do something for lack of a better word, entrepreneurial, because it doesn't mean blind optimism, but like, if you're going to like think about all the things that are, you know, bad or the, or, or the reasons why something can't work out, you like literally won't do anything. You won't get out of bed. The mindset that you have to have to be skeptical of people that like are trying to basically make great truths all the time. And you have to, you as a job have to find it like that can wear on you. Did you see, I mean, you were the example of one of this is like you editorial to operator to now entrepreneur you see this trend like did you kind of see it coming where all these journalists are like leaving and going doing their own thing in many ways or like and then on the flip side did you see them being like yeah of course they're going to go back and like rebundle up basically did did you have a gut feeling of that yeah i mean i just like you know having managed to stay alive for 49 years like i've seen and like enough that like you know the unbundling and rebundling it's the old saying it's like the two ways to make money in media I think the other saying is like the best way to make like some money in media is to start with a lot of money um, or something like that. Because that a lot of both those things money. track. You know, I think societally we're seeing this shift from institutions to individuals, and this has been going on for a long time. And obviously, um, you know, not to get stuck in cliches, but COVID accelerated a lot of trends, yeah. and I think it accelerated this distrust in institutions, and we naturally gravitate more towards individuals than faceless um, brands. And the reason that like brands have mascots or like, you know, personas and stuff like this is because they're trying to get around that because people tend to, to like people and to trust people more than like just some weird entity. That's why the, the Glenn Greenwalds and stuff are out there talking about the media. It's like, who are you talking about? Yeah. Like, who well, is the it's, media? It's, it's faceless. Where, I mean, where is this, where is this meeting of the media? I, I've never been invited to it. I would love. We, we love should do call. something by the way. Uh, uh, maybe <laughs> drinks, coffee, get the media together at uh, for yeah. some for some drinks if there's I, snacks if I, there's I, snacks media will show up yeah all all you need is uh some dip and But chips. I do think I think that like that that shift was like happening and I think what accelerated was really when media models moved more towards direct monetization versus indirect monetization I don't believe in the ads versus subscriptions I think it's a false dichotomy I think we're finally moving past it but like, I think when um, a lot of media businesses were not truly in the business they claimed to be in. Like I remember many years ago, Henry Blodgett, um, I f- think on like Twitter was like, well, he's like, you know, you've got a, you know, Digiday is an events business with a website. And I was like, Rawr! and I was like, but he's true. It was true. 
at that time, like 85% of the revenue was events. Was it true because of the revenue breakdown? That's why you yeah. classified that way? Yeah. Give me a break. Where the money is, is where the focus is. And so like when you're have an indirect model where your customers are not your audience, the importance of the content is different, right? And so I think when you're directly monetizing the content, when the product is the content, it makes a lot more sense to have um, someone who is expert at content setting strategy. Because like what I wonder about a lot of companies is if people, you can have a feel for content necessarily without being a content creator. I think it's really difficult, but like there's a lot of people who don't even know what good is who run media businesses because they've never made anything. They don't know how to make the product. To me, it's like, and I find it very strange like there's a reason that pharmaceutical companies are generally run by like people with science background, you know, sometimes they're run like Merck was run by a lawyer and stuff like this. It's possible. Um, you can have people from marketing who rise into that, but I think having expertise in like actually making the product is a tremendous advantage. Oh, what a, what a shock to have an expertise to run a business is, is a, is a good well, idea. Well, no, but I guess what I mean is like, if you have an indirect model, right? Yeah. Um, I get it. yeah. And your customer are sponsors, okay? Your expertise as selling to sponsors and understanding sponsors and having empathy for the sponsors and the vendors and 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 what they need to accomplish and stuff like this, that gives you a tremendous advantage because that's what your business is. Your business is catering to vendors. If your business is about primary engagement media, that you're going to create a great content product that people are going to seek out that you're not going to shove down their throats through sweepstakes and all this other like, you know, growth hacking stuff, then it seems to me it would behoove you to have expertise and to understand how you actually create high quality content products. And I don't understand how you necessarily do that if, you, if, if you've never have any experience of creating something that people seek out and value. Do you think there's, would you value indirect or direct one better than the other? I'm just curious. That's not a subscription ads question. That's a direct versus indirect question. So I think that overall, like direct is better than indirect. I mean, I think one of the biggest problems of the publishing business has been the fact that it's had to serve too many masters, right? So if you have an indirect model, and by indirect model, I mean, generally, it's based on ads or sponsorship on the monetization side. And on the distribution side, it's often based on algorithms, right? Like whether they're search algorithms or social algorithms. And if you have that indirect indirect model, like you're just going to build a different type of business than a direct model. So I think that you're more tightly aligned if you have a direct model, because a lot of times I think what you see out there are business models in opposition to the editorial mission. They just are. And, and that's because they're trying to serve too many masters. How can you optimize the algorithms, optimize to what sponsors want and optimize to what your audience wants and get thread that needle? When you're serving everyone, you're serving no one, basically. You need to make compromises in life. Like that's just being a mature adult. I can remember at some point in early Digiday, this like uh, this woman brought in like one of those inspirational posters and it was a Steve Jobs quote. It was like, never compromise. I'm like, excuse me? Do not hang that up. <laughs> I was like, it's going to be Lord of the Flies here if we're never going to compromise. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be killing each other with sharpened sticks. Why did you not charge for your newsletter? 
Well, a few things. Like, I do believe, like, you have to, like, understand, like, what your leverage is. I think um, there's a lot of low engagement media out there that is trying to masquerade as primary engagement media. And you put in place subscription models based on, you know, these like, oh, we're going to convert 10 to 15 percent. And we've got like an email list of 400,000 and then we're going to have 40,000. We're going to charge $200 a year. And then like the ARR on that is like, okay, that sounds great. Here's the problem. Your audience is low engagement. We saw this with CNN Plus. They're like dentist office ambient media. And like they're acting as if like, and I understand it, sitting in a tower in Atlanta or whatever, or even in Midtown Manhattan, you think the world revolves around you. Like, and it's the same as if you're in uh, any publication, right? And, you, but you got to be honest about, and you have to have self-awareness about like who you are. And so like for me, the, the, the leverage is too many people have adopted paywalls. There's so much great shit out there. I personally, I don't like, you know, I get more, you know, value out of, you know, newsletters like yours and, and Jacob's and, and others than I do out of trade publications. Like, and, but then they're charging. Um, I just don't think the model necessarily works. So for me, like. I look at like my leverage being like too many people have adopted paywalls. On top of that, thanks to, again, just staying alive and sticking in this industry, I have a fair number of contacts and people are willing to, you know, people are willing, but like I, I, I deliver, I think for my sponsors, but you know, I remember before I started, I want to shout out to Aaron Goldman, my number one favorite client. I love all my clients actually, but media ocean, because he like, Look, your launch, your launch partner is like, I mean, they give you the confidence to go. He contacted me. I remember I was walking around a park in Mexico City. I just left Digiday. It was like a very stressful end to it. And I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. He's like, I'd love to sponsor your new... I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah. I was like, I mean, I mean, uh, let me get you a proposal. Um, I was like, I haven't published yet. So, you know, that gave me confidence that there would be... And I'm like, you know, once I sold like a couple of deals at like a okay like level i was like if i can sell two of these at this i can sell 10 of these at this and if i sell 10 of these at this i can raise the rates by 50 percent, and then i'll sell 20 of them and so on and so forth so i looked at subscriptions as a way that narrows the funnel and i just know from experience because we waited to do a subscription model at digiday maybe too long but like Having that top of the funnel was super important. And yeah. and we adapted a, a membership model for two other brands that we had too early, in my view. I just saw it, the growth just like hit a wall. And that was just because the top of the funnel wasn't big enough. Yeah. Oh, the other thing is, and this is, oh my God, I should have like mentioned this first, is my goal with the rebooting is to make it into a publication, but also just a brand for people who want to rebuild uh, media to be a more sustainable business. Yeah. I think it's like an important uh, thing. And I have a lot of like students and various other people. I know you can do things that enable access, but I really think like matching up the sort of editorial mission to the business model is incredibly important, not vice versa. And so for me, like I wanted, to, I want to have like actual impact. Like, yeah. That's like sooner or later you have to ask yourself like why you're doing this. And 
I, I don't think that just goes to, by the way, I don't think that goes to individual creators too. I do think like company, and this is why like, I actually think founder led media companies tend to be more successful because like there's still a heart there sooner or later it turns to an Excel doc and like there's, there can be like mission driven stuff. And with my newsletter, I remember someone asked me like earlier, like, why would you do this? And I was like, I think media has like a really bad narrative and I like want to call out the things that change it. Like that's, that's my, that's my whole thing. And you can't do that behind a paywall because then you get like the 10 people who are your fan boys or girls and they're like, yeah, you're so smart. I also feel, and this might sound Pollyanna-ish, but like, I think that aligning with the right partners, this is like, look at how I'm talking, aligning with partners. I'm truly into the sales business now. But I, I really don't think that, like, I used to say, like, I used to have this expression going to the brand ETM, which was like when we had to do things that were horrific for the brand, but we had to do them for money. And I'm a grown up. I understand. I'm not like some like naive person. Sometimes you got to do things like, you know, like I looked at it, I was like, we had a newsroom of like, you know, 25 people. And I'm like, there's all kinds of things that I was willing to do personally and stuff like this, whether it was like, go and speak at this thing, just because like, I thought it was good that we were hiring journalists and, and, and trying to have an impact on the industries we were covering. So I'm not naive about, about that. But I really do think that particularly when you're in these more like, you know, smaller niche media, and it's more personal, that you can align with sponsors and with partners in such a way that it is, it's additive to the experience. Because to me, ads in B2B media are part of the product. They're part of the product in that they add to, they should add to the product if executed correctly. That is an important part. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's forgotten. And it's, this is, this is like the counter to that is like when you do it well, it's actually amazing. You get great rates, you get happy customers, your, your audience. I mean, like my newsletter, the ad has been the top click thing for like six weeks in a row. And it's like, that's amazing um, yeah. that like people actually like this ad. And then you have to like ask yourself, is there like a scale limit? Like that's where like the adult business hack comes on. It's like, you're like, okay, great. This is only going to work to this point. And I just don't think enough people want to admit that. Like, Hey, if we want to like get to this number, we're going to have to sacrifice that, that stuff. And that's what makes it great. This is why we come at things from totally different, not totally different, but just different things. Because like, I would always hear the scale stuff and I was like, I could care less. Like, I don't care. Like I want to make good shit. And if it doesn't quote unquote scale, like too bad, like then I won't do it. Like, because like banner ad scale, you know, the, the like 19, uh, ad week partner emails clearly scale. Um, I just got one that was just a blank JPEG. Um, so I'm going to get another one cause there's going to be a make good for them. Um, <laughs> but it's a shitty product. Yeah. Like it's well, shitty for everyone. But see, this is my one of the best things I heard recently was uh, Nathan from Every was on the pod last season. He said, look, if you do things to like 80 to 90 percent, they actually in media, like if you push a business model to 80 to 90 percent of what you can achieve, it's normally like you get the best optimization of like audience experience and revenue. Yeah. And I think that's like the mindset that I've taken is like, look, it's it's not about how much can we do by maintaining what's still great for the audience. Yeah. But you have an, you have investors, so you have to scale. Well, and I think the question is, though, is like, how do you do that, though? Like, and I, well, I'm pretty honest. If I don't want to scale, I could keep this a one-person thing. I have, my costs every year are like, right now, I plan on like hiring people and make it more of like a regular media company. But right now, like, again, I think about leverage. My biggest leverage is that my cost base is like minimal to non-existent. Yeah. 
when I think of scale with media, it's not about the thing that I believe and I think can be a different for what we're doing and what people forget. And like, this is why, like, if I wasn't in this company, then maybe someone would not would forget this value. But it's like, it all only matters if the audience comes to you, to your point earlier, like low engagement, yeah. high engagement. Like if you get to low engagement, it's it, everything else falls apart. Right. Like it's just worthless. So like you have to keep high engagement and then you just have to be honest with yourself. Like, look, in order to keep high engagement, we can only do two newsletter cents a week. You know how many newsletter companies have basically been like, oh, wow, we had like one more send. Like, we, we no, ready. you don't. It's, it's, it's math. It's, it's bad math. math. Because it's, like the problem is, is what I always say, you, you can optimize yourself into some really weird places because if you're just following the numbers, yes. when it comes to email, you Agreed. know, yeah. it always tells you to send. I it know. always tells you to send because you're just like, there's no cost. There's no, there's no like franking machine you need to go to. And like, I don't know, I'm probably, you're probably too young to even know about the franking machines. I didn't know what that meant. But Offices have the, used to have these like, you know, like stamping machines, like that do the like, you know, not the yeah. like physical, I guess it is physical stamp, but it's just like franking. Yeah. I think the, the key there is like the people just, it's so easy to look at the Excel doc. And like I wrote about this with like the information a while ago and, and kind of called them out for it. Cause I was like, look, like leave your morals aside like you're sending me drip emails you're like you're doing all the things that just are numbers driven marketing which is fine like that hap- it, it takes that to be required but like there's no ideals uh, of like oh this is what's best for the audience like sooner or later there is a math component to this but like you also that you have to balance of how that impacts the quality of of how your audience does and yeah. i thought about my newsletter i was like oh i could probably do like another one with like news a week and i was like i don't have time it's gonna be really shitty i'm just not gonna do it and like, yeah. that's, that's the, reality. I mean, that's something that like, I've been like going back and forth, uh, with, because like, I kind of feel like I need to ultimately have like a daily news email product and I'm just figuring out a way to do it in that I, that can be done like in a way that is like truly additive and is not like trying to create quote unquote surface area. Yeah. Which I, I have a post. I have this. Uh, I don't know how you deal with you. You use notion. Of it. Um, yeah, I, do. I have just, I have just like, <laughs> see, I knew it. <laughs> I, um, I, I, there's notion types and you're one of them. Uh, I mean, it's a compliment. Sure. Uh, uh. <laughs> um, I'm like, oh, it looks good on you. No, I have like a notes app where I have like my topics and surface areas is one of them because it's like really difficult because you do need, you need surface area as a media company. Right. Because like you can drive a ton of demand, but then like if you don't have the surface area to like, you know, for that demand, if you have a sponsorship like ad under ready model, that's a major issue. But the trick is like you can create surface areas that are shitty and in the long term are going to be bad for the brand. Well, and like, you know, Sean was saying this with Industry Dive is he's like, we try to be as particular as possible to go into industries that we think can get to five days a week. That there's like enough news and regulation issues out there that we can publish at 1.5 days a week. And then we slowly roll that out based on advertiser demand. And I think that like framework makes sense from a business perspective. I think like in an ideal world, you're getting people being like, God, I wish you said this more. Like that's that's the difference. Yeah. But that's also, it's so funny because, and again, I don't mean anything bad by it. Like everyone comes at everything from a different viewpoint, which I think is is kind of fun right yeah. so like i if you were to like you know make it like oppositional it'd be sort of like the operator versus the creator right like and like 
there's advantages to both. But I think that the type of company and the type of product that is built is different based on which of the directions that you're coming from. Yeah. Do you know well, what I mean? And, and then there's people like you and I that we're, we're trying to, to merge yeah, we're, ourselves. We're unicorns. Come on. <laughs> You know, I, what are the, so I, I say this though, and you, 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 I won't give you too much credit here, but like, oh, please you were, do. you were, you were Don't one of the shy. many conversations, you were one of the many conversations I had early on when I was telling you about like work week way before launch uh, of the idea. And you kind of push back of like, yeah, you're coming at this from like an operator perspective. And that wasn't the first time I had heard that. Um, and it made sense based on my background. Uh, and I had never written a newsletter myself before. Now you're in it. Now you're in it. You're and I said, you know I'm what? I'm going like, to show him. I'm going to fuck it. I'm going to do it. Uh, and I'm going to try and I'm going to go through this shit and I'm going to like treat myself like we would a creator. And it has been like one it is like the empathy level has gone way up because like I don't think people true like sales quotas are real like and I don't people haven't gone through that like that's a real pressure but like there's a yeah. real pressure when it's sunday at like noon oh yeah like, i love it i don't know what i'm gonna write about and this has to go out in like five hours he's probably not gonna want me to admit but i talk with trey young all the time about this because he's like because i'm like all excited about like you know I, i'm like oh i rang the gong you know i sold like an ad and stuff like this he's like the reason you're excited about selling ads is because you're an editor yeah it's true it <laughs> and gets I was less like, fun yeah, yeah, it gets less fun, but it's also like, you know, he'll be like, I don't know what I'm writing. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm writing tomorrow. It's fine. I'll come to me. I'll go yeah. to the beach. Packy told, me, <laughs> Packy told me one time it's like normally Sunday afternoon and he hasn't realized what he's going to do. And he writes like, you know, three, four thousand words. I'm like, I just don't even know. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, do I, I, li- I like Packy's stuff. It's too long. It's, too it's long. a lot. It's just a lot of work. But I used to do this with like, I got so bored at like ad week. I was like, I always say, people are like, how long have you been ad week? I was like three years too long. I don't know how long it was. But like, I think I just started to like fall into this like game with like, you know, we had like a magazine deadline every week. I had a magazine deadline every week. I had a page in the magazine where it's like, I would like play a game of like chicken to see how long I could like put it off, but still be able to like, you know, do a Houdini. Yeah. <laughs> probably didn't make for the best content but i was like really that like worked well i think it's funny though is like as much as editorial driven leadership like does love to talk about quality like there's no doubt that like their team is like oh fuck i gotta get this done in like three hours and it's not like you're not doing your best work at that time but like you're doing what you can so to be fair like there's like a balance of it what i've noticed like there's a lot of different types of like reporters and stuff like this but like there were some like where i was like God, I wish I could just like have them like take a shot before they started writing. Cause just write, you just need to write, you know it, you have the story. But I think a lot of times reporters like and writers get caught up in sort of uncertainty that they have it. And like, cause there's always like a fog of uncertainty and like, it's kind of like, you know, football, like I hate the stretch play. I hate it. The running backs like running parallel line of scrimmage. I'm like, stick your foot in the ground and go north south because like you got to get downhill. <laughs> this this game, you got to get downhill. And like I think that's like a way with like content in some ways. It's like at some point you just have to like stick your foot in the ground and like get downhill, and it will come. <laughs> I think the the biggest like leap and hurdle of that operators don't respect about writers and creators that uh is that like how hard that is they're like oh it's 800 words like i write cold emails all day and it's like yeah you literally copy and paste them and change out shit like 
it's so hard to be critiqued of your the pressure is actually real and i think like maturity is like you probably don't feel pressure at all because you've been through it a million times but man the butterflies that i get before i like hit send is uh is tough yeah but it's also again it's like coming from different things it's like when i'm like asking someone for like you know what to me is like a lot of money like i'm yeah. all like nervous about it and Whereas, I'm like, give, like, give me six. You're like hours. excited. You're like, wow, that's too small. Like, what are you doing? It's probably true. If you ever want to talk, Brian, I'm happy to help. Uh, I did want to get to another. That's thing. my that's my sales strategy. Go in, go in high and just you know capitulate. You know, it's funny though. I've seen a lot of creators be like, hey, that like journalist backgrounds, and they have no idea, so they just like ask for an amount, and I'm like, you got that, and I'm like, man, no math equation in the world no cpm calculator ever says that you should be able to charge that and they're like yeah i didn't know it doesn't matter i don't I, so I always i was like i don't like to talk cpms that's how you know someone doesn't have many m's yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's you're like i'm single digit m's uh what's up uh what is something that like when you're when you're writing your pieces and you're thinking about it, what do you think something's going to happen? Let's just say like short to midterm future, like 12 ish uh, next year or so yeah. that like no one's talking about that. You're like, I think this is going to happen mm -hmm. and I'm not seeing enough of it of, around the media circles of people talking about it. Uh, media recession. I mean, like the um, I hate when people are like before the podcast we were talking about, but like, you know, we were what? talking about, like, you know, the signs that a recession is coming. And I think a lot of people don't remember what it's like to be in the media business during a recession. And it's different. You know, lots of people look good, you know, on the way up. And it's a different thing to deal with a much tougher market. And there's been a lot of funny money that's been injected into the economy. And the idea that that hasn't flowed down to media is nonsensical. There's been so much stimulus pumped into this economy. And then on top of it, coming out of COVID, you know, people with events businesses, I know Rafat had said, told me he's seen something different, but like I've, I, at least it's not what I've heard is, you know, people have been doing really well. They've been selling tons of ads. There's been, you know, it's been good times. It's like yeah, 2021 like, was the best ads year ever. Yeah, yeah. Roaring 20s were great. Unfortunately, I think the roaring 20s might end in 2022. <laughs> so I, I wasn't around. Uh, I wasn't in media in, in uh, 09. Dude, it sucked. It what, sucked. What, what do you do to gear up? Okay, here's what media in, in that time was. I was working for Adweek, which was owned by Nielsen at the time, a private equity firm took over Nielsen. The guy, Dave Calhoun, he's now running Boeing. He wouldn't even like come to like the office. He like set up the like corporate headquarters like near his like place in like Darien, Connecticut. They had a space engineering firm that was coming in that was creeping in behind us to see when we were at our cubicles. And they basically shrank our cubicles by like nine inches, which times, times that across every single Nielsen office. They like, you know, this guy was six sigma in everything. So he like, peeled off like $27 million just by shrinking everyone's cubicles all over the world. I used to joke they were looking at like so many ways to like save money that like there was going to be a decree about having to use both sides of the toilet paper because that's how, that's where the focus was. We had this horrible holiday party in a conference room. It was the saddest thing like ever. And it is grimy. And like the good times, like, you know, it's different. The party's different than the hangover, yeah. but there's a lot of advantages. Like, I mean, building during a recession is great. It's great because like 
when you're talking with hiring, you know, someone like, you know, that salesperson who is like, yeah, I'm going to need like this. Like, guess what? Like the, the pendulum always swings. Right. Yeah. And, the, and the pendulum has been very much on the side of we have had labor shortages everywhere. The economy is clearly overheated. And there's a lot of advantages to building new businesses in a recessionary environment. Yeah, the context of uh, just so people don't feel like the whole before the podcast, but Brian and I were talking about ad salespeople. And I said, recruiting salespeople in Q4 and Q1 of this year and Q4 in 2021 was like so expensive because everyone had the best years of their life. And they're like, well, look how much money I can make. And I'm like, I just think in 12 months, it's going to calm down and yeah. you're going to have a whole but different I mean, ballgame. Also, like, think about I think Austin Reef had like tweeted this, like, think about like the crypto bubble and like how many of these fintech first of all like how many fintech newsletters are there like what are there like ten thousand or something like this i'm amazed and they all seem like highly monetized work week has three and they do great (laughs) but like what's gonna happen with crypto you know the crypto when crypto winter meets an overall recession like i just can't wait to see like what what gets cut right and like you know I don't know if Coinbase is going to want to be making like feature films, like if their stock keeps going in the direction it is. Right. And like, you know, when the good times, it's just a different environment to operate in. I mean, I think in some ways I'm more like my personality is more suited for a recession. (laughs) Do you think direct or indirects better during that time or the same? I mean, I think direct is, is clearly better in that like you've locked in. You know, I mean, you when when you lock in like revenue for like a year, it's a great feeling. Like ringing the gong is great. I love to ring the gong, but at the same time, after I ring the gong, I get to freaking go and like re- sell it again, sell it again, sell it again. And like I had, I had my first like big like cancellation for like something, and um, I was doing this thing in Cannes. Sucks, doesn't like, it? Ah, oh, dude, it's the first time. And like, it's one thing when it's like, it's literally just me. It's like, literally, like I was counting on all like, you know, a nice, nice sum of money. And I was like, oh, yeah, no problem. Totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> Inside, I was like, oh, I think uh, the way that I got through. So I've not been through the recession, but the, you know, three, four months of COVID there for a while with ad dollars was pretty rough. I mean, like we had mass cancellations it was it was brutal um, oh yeah and i, I mean, started reading it when COVID. Had, i mean imagine if 65 percent of your revenue was in events, events in yeah. person events it was gruesome i started yeah. i re i reread um shackleton's uh did you ever read the like shackleton book like yeah. and about how he like survived that like ill-fated trip to antarctica yeah yeah i started i, I started reading that for tips it uh, that that time period, Jason Showwise, the head of sales at Morning Brew, and I would basically like call each other, just have vet. We ended up doing a clubhouse podcast together to that time because mostly we were just like so sad of like, did they cancel on you? Yeah, yeah, another cancel. Yeah, it just was like it's just an onslaught. And uh, but it only and- lasted a couple months, which is I think I think it made people like I think they forget how long normal downturns last and how hard it is because like. The COVID thing was was terrifying, but it was mostly only for a few months. Like once PPP kicked in and like gave like a lifeline, like yeah. I feel like, you know, that first like six weeks, it was like this could be an extinction event. Was- no. Yeah. I mean, the first like eight weeks, 12 weeks was like terrifying. And then it was like I'll never forget. It was like late May and uh, someone had a big corporation sent out an RFP 
And I remember calling a couple of my friends that run other media companies. I was like, did you get this RFP? And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, we're back. And it really was like a turning point in that late May where like all of a sudden I was like, oh, well, these people are coming back and these people are coming back. And it was like, so yeah, it was like three months. I think, you know, the average one lasts 12 to 15. That's sizably, sizably bigger and longer of a downturn. So, But I think it's, it's good because like, I'm sure you see it. Like there's a lot of like, there's always a lot of froth in markets, particularly coming off of this like incredible streak we've had outside of the sort of COVID, which it's hard to call it a blip, but in the in the grand scheme of the economy, it was it was kind of a blip considering like the bazooka that was used against it repeatedly. Yeah. So yeah, people are gonna have to like adapt and like it'll wash some of the silliness out of um out of a few markets. And I think honestly the creator market is going to be is going to be tougher. I think though, if you don't have that support, uh, that's what Austin Reef was was tweeting about. Like, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of creators who who struggle because you don't have the legal team to help you back on your contract. You don't have like all the stuff to like back you and support you. So there's two sides to everything. It's like that's one side, but then on the other side, like I look at it, it's like you've got tremendous leverage with a low cost base, right? Like yeah. it's just like it's kind of like when we had like, you know, we had to take like salary cuts and stuff like this in early COVID and stuff. Like I was talking to my team and like, you know, I'm like, look, lowering your cost of living is a tremendous leverage and there's no office. So like feel free to lower your cost of living, you know, and we were able to add back in salaries a few months later, but like, you know, that's a, that's advantage um, yeah, to not have is. those high cost bases. Yeah. I think the, the opportunity there will be, will be super but isn't that the heart of like Workweek's model in some ways is that like if you can have a shared infrastructure, you're enabling these individuals to do the things that like much bigger media companies do. They can right. compete like the, 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 the playing field is being leveled. I think that's like underappreciated to some degree. I, I think the the bet that, you know, there's two sides, right, just like you've been talking about. But from like a Workweek institution side, let's say like the, the actual corporation that every day, you know, our investors ask me about, let's say the thing we have to make sure to do is like, can we actually diversify ourselves strong enough where we're, I think one of the biggest risks of a downturn is like when you only get your money from FinTech B2B or crypto companies, it's tough. But like there are definite companies in a recession that like tick, tick up like a financial, there's like some, definitely some pieces that go up and trying to diversify ourselves is what I'm focused on and and not just from a category perspective, but also from, from a monetization. And then from a creator perspective, they get the benefit of all that diversification as well. It's not just ads. It's like all the other business lines that we have. And it's like, hey, I could leave and go do this on my own. But like, and ads may be down, but this other part of the business may be up and et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's like kind of how we're, how we're trying to, how to think about so it. So outside of ads, what are, what are the business lines? Uh, like turning the table. We have like seven, but uh, really, yeah. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't. We make a lot of noise on Twitter, but don't don't talk about the business that much, and that's that's purposeful. Um, but it, uh, you know, I think the the ultimate thing, like when we wrote down what makes shitty businesses, it's like you're all in on one thing uh, yeah. normally, and like you're. I think over time, it's really difficult to do. It's hard because like, it's kind of like, that's exactly it. Cause like, I was like thinking like, we were like too dependent on events. We, Digiday was too dependent on events. 
too dependent on ad tech and then martech. And so if, if ad tech, if ad tech caught, caught a cold, we caught a cold. And events, it's like, but events are always popular. Uh, not during a pandemic, it turns out. No. <laughs> Wasn't exactly in the risk factors. I mean, we sort of, you know, uh, it was known to like diversify, but like it's hard because like particularly early on, you just want revenue and revenue is oxygen. And it's like, not like, well, not this oxygen. And I think like I get asked a lot, like why we raise. And it was like that. That's what we use the money for. It was like, hey, I know from day one, it's really hard to find like someone to lead an education business unit that's like actually knows what the fuck they're doing or an events business or et cetera. There's all the things down the line. And it's like we need capital to find those people. And then from day one, we can be like, you have a PL. This is what you do. We have to go find now the right people to fit it. And like that's yeah. that's that's what we did. Cause I just like, I mean, I saw it. It's like it gets really scary in that Excel doc when you're like, I'll I during when COVID hit, my wife was the second person diagnosed in Texas with COVID. Oh. And uh yeah, CDC called us for like a month straight. But when I started doing it, I made three uh models of like best case, middle, worst. And when you do that, it's a terrifying thing, especially when you're like, oh, ads could go to like zero. Like, um, yeah. and but not all business units go to like have that big of an impact during the recession. I think yeah. there's a lot, a lot of learning you can do from the past. You're also at a disadvantage of not having a long track record with not you, but like me, no. like in this with, with the clients. Like, and I wonder like whether the, it ends up retreating to safety and stuff like this. Of like, Oh, for sure. And that like works against you, but that's what Austin Reef was really. I mean, I he didn't say it, but he I think he was saying like, look, all of you creators that are getting these huge contracts, wait, wait till it doesn't work and times get tough, and they're going to come to people like Morning Brew that they've worked with for three years, like you know, like yeah. Um, and I think like that's yeah. everyone's uh, out there talking their own book. Come on, let's be honest. Yeah, well, I, you know, I I mean, you know what business doesn't go away during uh, when I was at Spiceworks, they had a great year in '09. And the reason why is because they had performance leads. Like oh, it's yeah. like, I mean, like doesn't go away. There's definitely. What's well, like after the dot com boom? Like I worked for, uh, my first job in journalism was was writing for Silicon Alley Reporter, uh, which is covering dot com businesses in New York. It was Jason Calacanis's uh, first company, and you know that went away. It just collapsed, and I started writing for Direct Marketing News. Man. That was the place to be in the in the ashes of like the dot com bust. Direct marketers don't go anywhere. No, I know we're calling them performance marketers now. It's very sexy, but like demand generation, demand generation. <laughs> uh, that, Let uh, me tell you also that you have never lived. I always say you have not lived until you've been to like a DMA, the Direct Marketing Association, like party in New Orleans, like at the DMA summit, like with a bunch of like direct mail guys. It's like amazing. I imagine it, I imagine like the characters and in infomercials basically all yeah. at one conference. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> Postal uh, service guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice thick ties. Um, the the last thing that I wanted to to hear from you about is is you've touched on crypto a little bit. There's a lot of like longer term trends in media, whether you know buzzwords, community creators, etc. But like, if you had to put your future hat on here a little bit, what do you think? in longer time horizons we just did a year with the recession and I, that downturn i totally agree with that a thousand percent in five ten years like what do you think people 
need to be thinking about that can adjust. And I'll use like an example, like five years ago, a lot of people are talking about having a direct relationship with the audience. Yeah. And like, if people listen to people five years ago, they'd be in really good shape if they were building email list in 2016. What is that? Do you have anything in mind that you think is going to be that in five years? I think every single media company has to figure out where they are on the institutional to individual continuum. And, you know, there's very few people that are, are going to, that are going to have like very good models that stay on the far end of the institutional scale. Like, I know we'll probably have the same mind to this, just judging from what you're doing at Workweek. Like, I don't think this is a blip. I don't think that um, when I look to sort of just like generationally too, like, I don't think that the way people had relationships with media is going to be the same. And, and I think that it would be dumb for people. And I still see that. I'm like, actually keep doing it because they, they can be like what I think of as like sort of competitors because they're hiding behind like these institutional brands and like people don't have real connections to them. And that's a pathway to low engagement media. And you can have low engagement media models and stuff like this, but a lot of these companies are trying to, um, they're masquerading as like, as high engagement media when they're really low engagement media. And so to me that th their low engagement is, is a symptom and they have to figure out ways to get like, to be sought out, to be primary engagement media. And to me, like the way you do that is by putting individuals more at the forefront. It doesn't mean that like everyone that Substack is the answer to everyone. I don't believe that. I know you don't believe that obviously with what yeah. you're doing. <laughs> That's why I think, you know, the model of Workweek is like actually legitimately really exciting because like you can suck a lot of the costs out with a shared infrastructure, an individual creator putting on like a big event, like, oh my God. Right. But like you have the upside of putting individuals like at the forefront. Everyone's right. going to have it differently. The piece there that's going to be difficult for us and I think like anybody with a creator forward model is in that downturn. How do you have the validation that like, hey, I deserve your dollars because there's something safe about an institution right. and what like people don't want to say, but it's true is like creators are better for direct models, but for advertising businesses, it's actually mm -hmm. incredibly difficult to win dollars over institutions. Cause it's like, Hey, I say this all the time. Marketers just want to sound good to their boss. So like, Hey, we got a times ad. Great. Yeah, sick. Yeah, yeah. You know, like it's, that's hard. No, that's a great, that's actually a great point. So it's one of the sort of lessons that I've had and stuff and that I've been, I've been blessed to work with great partners, but like what's very clear to me is like beyond the sort of CPMs that I don't like to talk about is you know, just the cost of sales and that like, there's a lot of trafficking back and forth. There's a lot of, and it's a pain in the ass and it's super inefficient to be doing these deals on such like a low level. Like I don't like, I appreciate everyone, but like, I just know that like have to figure out ways to make it easy for people to buy, you know? And like, yeah. it's really difficult on an individual um, level to get the necessary scale. So like, you need some scale. You do, No, I'll tell you a real, I have not said this out loud, but it's a real thing that happened. When I built the model out 
I had one of these, uh, one of the line items was I said that I'm going to have this, cons- we're going to have some consumer ads and like all of our creators have some like personal section in their newsletter, like my things I think called like what I like. And the idea was like, hey, there's a lot of these like consumer products that like you can make a lot of money on and you can include them in there. They're not B2B. It diversifies us a little bit. I thought it was a really like smart move. And it wasn't a huge portion of revenue, but it's probably like 10 or 15% we counted on for the ads business. Like and affiliate stuff? No, like, you know, like skim picks and shit like that. Like, you know, like the it basically. Skim picks. What's that? Uh, about? Uh, yeah. That doesn't sound um, like fintech. Uh, no, the, the the so like the idea was, you know, all those um, the they sponsor like everything, um, the like crowdfunding campaigns for like the robot Flippy Burger and all that stuff that you've like. Have you ever seen those around? Probably. Anyway, there's an agency that like spends they put money everywhere and it's like it's CPM based. They pay well. It's really great. So I basically thought that we could do consumer ads. I called that client of mine who I worked with for a very long time. And I said, hey, I have this consumer section. I have these four or five creators. We all have newsletters. Would you sponsor? And she was like, oh, absolutely. Love this. Great idea. And she called me like a month later. I was like, look, it's just like not big enough for the work. It's not that like it doesn't work. It's not like the metrics didn't do what you said, but like I have to do like a lot of work to not get a lot of output like the final number and i said wow this is actually like pretty big risk to the business and we canceled basically like trying to sell that until we hit like a certain marker because like there's just a scale required and i think individual creators on their own are going to like face that as a as a big problem yeah and i think like that's the thing it's like there's a lot of costs that are like beyond the actual cost of the transaction it's the cost of like trading paper back and forth and the docu signs and like you know for a lot of marketers like it doesn't make sense to do these 5k deals and stuff like this. It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And yeah. because the costs are just outrageous when you put in people's time and stuff like this. I mean, I run it as like, I don't know why I'm like having like, I, I like I'm having like a lot of conversations and stuff like this, but then like, you know, you get companies just like, well, we just want to do a test. And I'm like, okay, the CEO, you, like we've had four zooms and stuff like this. Like, I, like, and it's like I'm, 3k. <laughs> You're like, I'm what? willing to do it. But first of all, like it's not we it's not even a fair test because there's not you're not doing enough to even figure out the ap- hypothesis. Uh, um, you're a sales guy. That's a sales line. No, no, I'm just kidding. But yes? that's uh, that's the sales line upsell right, <laughs> right. there. The, the test isn't big enough. You have to do more. Yeah. And then I capitulate and I say, OK, yeah. sure. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, I uh, Brian, it was it was fun. Uh, your three cups of coffee paid off. It was a great call. And uh, and let's let's do it again sometime. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay ahead of media's next move, then make sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen. I'll see you next time.